This interview is one in a series recorded by the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust as part of a Health Education England funded programme to transform outcomes for children and young people with extra vulnerability to mental health difficulties. The series includes interviews with a range of experts who each have specialist knowledge on the needs and experiences of a particular vulnerable group. This is an interview with Lorraine Kahn. Uh, I'm Lorraine Kahn and I'm the lead for children and young people at the Centre for Mental Health. And my interest in this is, has grown from a project that we've been working on, uh, funded by Comic Relief over the last probably three years, um, and possibly going forward to a, a next stage with another funder now, um, which is focused on uh, the particular area of focus that we have at the moment is young African Caribbean men, looking at their experiences both in currently, and that means some of them are in their 20s, they're young adults, but also uh, looking backwards at some of the journeys that got them to that. that point but I'll start off just with what led me to get involved in this work in the first place we have generally poor very poor data in this country on we have poor data on on prevalence of, of, of child mental health anyway um, that's being hopefully rectified with the regular surveys and the new one that's coming up in 2018 whenever it's due but uh, even with those surveys that have been done because the uh, the sample sizes of children and young people from uh, BME communities are so small it's we've always lacked good quality data to tell us uh, uh, you know the extent to which they're under over represented in terms of mental health difficulties as children but what we do know is that uh, there are some sort of posts in the ground from uh, research literature particularly from the Millennium Cohort study for example that has given us some interesting uh, insights into what some of the patterns that take place and also that the adult surveys where we know things change for some children from some BME communities so just to, to so just to give you an idea so the millennium cohort study um, that, that looked at the 11 year old suite we uh, our organization did uh, uh, some analysis of that data with the Center for longitudinal studies and what that highlighted was that uh, generally at that age um, uh, so children from mixed race mixed heritage uh, are the most likely to have a diagnosable difficulty, a mental health difficulty. And actually, um, so black boys uh, and uh, aren't more likely at that stage. White boys, I think, come second at, at that age. Uh, and But black boys aren't more likely to have a diagnosable difficulty at that age. And I think uh, Indian children are much, have much better mental health than, uh, than other children at that age. So there's some interesting sort of patterns. And that's been possible because the Millennium Cohort oversampled on, uh, on uh, families from BME communities. But then you start looking uh, and, and our data, data on when they, when they hit uh, the kind of teenage years is very poor because of the small sample sizes, as I said, so we don't really get a clear picture. But what we do start to see once you start looking at the adult survey, some real, really um, quite stark sort of uh, shifts that have taken place. So black men at that, uh, as they move into adulthood are more likely to end up, for example, in uh, in the services uh, in the in high con highly controlling kind of psychiatric unit uh, services, usually with uh, presentations like schizophrenia, psychotic type presentations, and also they're more likely I think there's a there was a higher risk of, of suicide in the last survey that was picked up but again there's small numbers that we're dealing with small numbers and uh, and black women as well higher rates of, of uh, common mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety 
um, I think also South Asian uh, women, there was, a, there was a higher rate of common mental health difficulties. So you get some differences that emerge at that later stage. And I think we were interested in, uh, I, the other thing that you notice, for example, with uh, African-Caribbean young men is that they, d they aren't accessing help through their GP. They're accessing help generally through criminal justice routes. So there was some sort of, and that's been known for a good long time. So even when I came into this uh, role in the centre uh, in 2007, there was a big government uh, review on uh, the uh, on on uh, young black men in you know generally in in the um, in the system, and uh, it, it highlighted that there were these inequalities, these mental health inequalities, and a whole range of other inequalities that affected them. And what's happened since then is very little has changed. Um, in fact, it's probably got worse. Certainly, they're overrepresented. Although we've reduced the criminal justice system population in in the youth population. Uh, dramatically by about sort of two thirds, um, young black men are over, are increasingly overrepresented uh, and the more um, in, in that system and, and the more sort of um, high cost, I guess, uh, you, units you look at, the more controlling units you look at, that's where they get overrepresented. So there was something that was troubling about those patterns that we wanted to work uh, with, with um, the BME community, the black uh, African Caribbean community, uh, as a piece of work and try and look at what was going on there and there are sort of big so the, one of the big drivers again this is based on on um, the voices of young of the young men and, and uh, community members that we've worked with is is the fear there's a real fear of, uh, of accessing services because uh, there's a perception that you get very quickly escalate, you get seen as dangerous and quickly escalated into uh, a system that then is a very, uh, you know, that labels you and, and controls you uh, and that that happens disproportionately in comparison to, to uh, white community members. Um, so I, I think one of the, but one of the knock-on effects is that because is because of there's that, that anxiety about going anywhere near health services, which might quickly escalate you into some sort of crisis or make you somebody that you don't feel you you are, um, uh, you know, label you in inverted commas ill, which is this is the the way it feels, uh, you know, to to, to them. Um, that the, therefore that therefore there's an a, a, an avoidance of of contact, um, and that of course if you've got something that's emerging at that, then it that's all the evidence tells us that the later you leave things, the more you'll drift into crisis. Is that so? There's a. There, so I was going to ask, is that the reason why there's that disconnect between the data that you're seeing kind of uh, in childhood, early adolescence through to the, you know, massive swing in, in young adulthood where you've got that over It's a it's a tricky one to unpack that Pookie. so um we uh and, and that's really what part of what we were working with uh, uh the three projects in in birmingham that were trying to build young men's resilience that's what they were trying to do they were trying to look at ways of building resilience in a non-health orientated way but trying to raise awareness of you know mental health is important you have to look after it there are things you can do to look after it and looking at culturally competent ways of of of, of, of doing that so you using drama, using as an engagement tool, using uh, creativity as an engagement tool, spoken word, 
uh, as, a, as a therapeutic tool and, and uh, start uh, young men to start with. It's a process they, they, to start with. They, they're interested to get involved in this and then they, uh, and then they, uh, you know, they start, uh, start thinking about their mental health and what has uh, contributed to uh, things when they, when they were coping well and what's contributed to things when uh, it's gone down for them or for others around them. And I think some of that, there's a whole cascade, basically it's like a snowball. So um, that what we see when you start looking at the evidence and what all the statistics tell you is that uh, young, uh, young African Caribbean men uh, are more likely to come from families uh, where there's high levels of poverty. And we know high, higher levels of poverty are linked to higher levels of mental health difficulty. So, you know, there's that as your starting part of the uh, of the of the uh, snowball. I think there's also some evidence about um, for some communities, because not all communities will have the same experiences but for some communities of, of historic trauma. So, uh, you know, the, the impact of, of, of slavery in the past, and there's, there's quite good evidence of how that gets transmitted across generations. So uh, just as we know that, you know, uh, the brain can become o overreactive, uh, uh, hyper, hyperactive if, it's, if a, a, an infant is in, in, you know, in the womb, uh, there's some suggestion that, the, I think it's very, very early stages of research, but there's some suggestion there is that, that for some communities, so Holocaust survivors, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, Native American um, communities as well, that there is something about transmitted trauma for, for the various reasons that it occurs. So, there, you know, there may be that greater susceptibility. There's something about the way that they are, the way that they experience their education. So there are some stark statistics that have been very, very persistent over many, many years, which are that, that, that young uh, black boys, young African-Caribbean boys particularly, are three times more likely to be excluded than, uh, than other boys of, of their age. And that's sort of been around for a long time. And however hard schools try with that, it's not really, uh, if you look at the DFE data each year, it doesn't really kind of move much. Um, others do, but that, that one doesn't. And what uh, I th and there's also evidence about the kind of the, the, the drip, drip sort of weathering wear and tear effect of daily racism, daily experiences of discrimination and how that impacts on your well-being over time again that research comes from longitudinal research tracking other other communities as well um, as, I, as I said the communities Holocaust survivors as well and and, and Native American community members so there, there are these almost like as if there are a cluster of risk factors and, and multiple risk factors that are of a different nature to those kind of ace type risk factors there may be some of those in there as well but it's more to do with that sort of erosion of well-being over time um, and and in education, I mean, almost because we're, we're doing some work with gang involved young men in London as well. And, and it's it's uncanny as to how, you know, those experiences dovetail between the guys up in, in Birmingham who came from a range of of uh, of backgrounds, including some gang involved, some at university, some, um, um, uh, you know, who who'd struggled with their mental health and a whole range of, of, of guys up there. But the the common thread from both of the guys that is both uh, um, communities that we worked with was that there was something that happens during that transition to uh, uh, secondary school 
that goes wrong for, for these young guys. Okay. Um, there's some evidence that there's a, a beginning of, I can't remember how they described it, the Joseph Roundtree, uh, one Joseph Roundtree study noted that even as they enter primary school, children of similar uh, intellectual capabilities, you, you'll start to see differences occurring then in that black boys start sli slipping behind. So there's something that happens a little bit before that, but you don't, certainly at the age of 11, you don't really see it uh, in terms of their mental health and emotional well-being. And, and, uh, and certainly from the anecdotal discussions that the guys have had during primary school, it's a positive, that's a generally positive experience, but there's something about that move to, to secondary school and we, and it's not entirely clear what, what goes wrong at that stage. I think that's a piece of work, you know, that we'd like to, to do more on, really trying to get down into the grand source of that, that, that shift. It's something to do with, I think it's something to do with the way that they, f that they feel they're perceived, so uh, that there is a sort of a lack of aspiration, um, a ten tendency to that, that there's a they begin to feel swamped also by broader negative media stereotypes. You know all the stereotypes that uh, are and, and all the representations that they see of themselves as as a young black man are ne tend to be negative, um, and overwhelmingly they get feel flooded by by this. And I think trying to work out your identity in the context of uh, ne negative images um, uh, through music, through media, or, or that—that's a real challenge, and I think that's part of that's one of the threads that that is is a challenge. Yeah. I think uh, they there's almost a sort of re reflection back of that rather than an unpicking of that by by school set by the secondary school settings in that they they you know that they will see them in a certain way and that perpetuates that and they'll play up to that and it becomes a horrible sort of uh, a horrible kind of a bigger snowball of, of risk factors they become behavior they, they're seen as behaviorally difficult but people what it was interesting what one of the guys was saying is that people don't uh, that schools tended to write them off think they weren't capable of things have low aspirations really for what they uh, uh, were able to to do and not believe that they could extend themselves and um, and not think creatively when uh, when um, they were beginning it so when they, and when they were beginning if they were beginning to act up not think creatively about different ways of teaching mm -hmm. that might deal with uh, you know that, that might put them on a different path so one uh, one guy who actually now is at university doing extremely well uh, he's very talented a really talented young man he was talking about ha having been seen as a problem in in school but that there was that one teacher who who actually wasn't a very popular teacher but who said to him you know you really need to you need to you need to do something different let's let's look at getting you linked in with something different she got him into drama at that uh, at that age and it shifted things around for him something that was much more uh, creative much more uh, engaging the, the style of the of the teaching the circle time that was used in that all of those things um, uh, made him believe in himself and then he, then he was in a play
brilliant and he, he talked about how, how being in that moment in the spotlight and getting the feedback from the audience and was the beginning of him being being able to believe in himself and he hadn't ever sort of felt that in his secondary school, school up until that time so I guess there's that sort of thread of uh, that, that comes from these conversations which are about um, how schools communicate that belief to uh, to these young boys yeah and is that does that help it does help so what i guess the thing is listening particularly to that story and it's always really nice hearing where it's actually works well but it kind of unpicking that a bit really isn't it it's about was this to do with the fact that somebody took notice of him and cared about him and held him in mind was it about the fact that um aspirations were higher for him from this person was it about as you talked before about that kind of cultural competency and finding a way in which he could communicate that and and kind of excel at something which hadn't happened before or was it kind of perhaps a, a mixing of, of all of those things i think it's a mixing of all of those i think it is a mixing of all of those i don't think there's a sort of single thing uh uh that that uh is is the is the magic wand and, and i think the more um you know as we're writing uh writing at, at, the, at the moment this website for, for other other vulnerable children that 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 um, idea of keeping children in mind, of thinking about what it is that might underpin their, the, the way that they're communicating to you um, and, and, and opening up those conversations of, you know, what, what's going on for you? you? You know, it feels like things are a bit tricky at the moment. What's going on? And trying to kind of unpack that. Those conversations, I think, are, are not always... Uh, grasp, particularly at secondary level. I think at primary level, there's a bit more chance that that kind of thing uh, would happen. Not obviously on, on in that kind of way, but it, that there would be that picking up and and uh, and checking and checking in with children. But I don't know how frequently teachers have time to do that. I think it was about somebody uh, having aspirations for him. And, and the, you know, the, the, what st struck me working with this group of young guys over such a lengthy period was the, the you know, the, the ability and the, and the talent that was in the room that hadn't been. So one guy was sort of saying, you know, my English, uh, he, he writes scripts now for the Birmingham Rep and for work that, uh, work, work that he's doing out in the community. So I was doing lots of community work with drama. Yeah. Um, and at school, he was considered to be, you know, incapable of, of writing decent English and of being of, of performing in an in a in a traditional English lesson, if if you like. So uh, it, it, it's that kind of mismatch. How does that happen? Um, I I don't I wouldn't say I've got the answers, but I think there are just some big questions to ask ourselves about. How do you get that mismatch and how is it that that um how can how can we ignite interest in in a in a way that uh that that helps uh young men move towards what they can be and that and towards their potential and because unless that that happens their mental health and emotional well-being goes down and what 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 is commonly d d described and i think this is the big challenge that schools often have is that and how they would describe it is that there's there's, there's a narrower a, a narrower a, narrower area 
in which to because of these negative stereotypes and 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 for some communities not all but for some communities who don't have fathers around um there, there's a, a narrower way in which young men can define who they are as a man so masculinity is a big issue how to how to be a man is a big issue that's what came out as a major theme and it has in the gang involved uh, work as well um and i think uh, if they don't perform if they don't feel they're getting their sense of well-being their sense of status through performing in school then the the other option is is pretty dire for them which is often being pulled into pretty kind of money making opportunities let's say that which which then go into a kind of uh, sometimes move into criminal uh, activity so they've got much narrower choices generally and i'm i'm talking generally here um and you can lose them very quickly if schools kind of get let hold if, if they don't hold on to them they can be lost quite quickly and lose their way and can you explain a little bit? Sorry, just to say, just to say as well that because they've been, I think they've also been disproportionately affected by youth service uh, contractions because uh, it, the youth services probably were the group that worked in that narrow space where, you know, where they could bring them back into the mainstream, mainstream kind of activity and engage them back into, uh, into things again. So they felt that loss really keenly. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a bit about some of the um, projects that you've seen have worked well, because you talk quite a lot about things like sort of uh, uh, drama um, and music and projects like that, which seem to have been things that have managed to kind of keep hold of these young men and help them find a way to express themselves and maybe not need to go down those other paths to discover masculinity through um, sort of criminal activity and, and things like that. I mean, what what does, you know, if a, a typical teacher listening in say and they wanted to maybe do something in their school that helped maybe bridge this gap that the youth services aren't aren't doing anymore, what, what might they be able to do that was relatively simple but might actually, you know, inspire their young men? Well, I, I think um, what I've observed a lot, a lot of uh, what the rep have been doing with a lot of these guys and also uh, uh, one of the projects goes into schools and works with young boys who were on the cusp of uh, went in and did some uh, 10 week work with young boys who were at, the, at risk of exclusion and both of those uh, uh, activities involved lots of use of circle time so lots of use uh, may, maybe using cards or maybe using getting people to think about you know who am i most like if they've got a pack of cards on the floor of you know uh silly cartoony cards who uh who am i who, who am i most like here and why um so there have been those kind of activities i think there have been activities that uh get them to and, and that, but prompting from that you know what why would i say that uh there have been uh, been uh, um times where they've used things like understanding myself so they used um uh, uh now it was a it's some kind of psychometric test but it's in it's a much more kind of active one rather than doing it on paper yeah. paper's not good um so do things that are much more interactive uh so they used a um the, it has a it, you identify uh who you are by doing a, a quick kind of uh a, a quick a questionnaire but it's within the room that you do that questionnaire and you then sort of work out whether you're a, an outcomes focused person or whether you're a, a different type of person and what that means to you whether you think that 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 kind of fits with who how you see you are uh what it's much more understanding yourself in interact 
active, moving a lot. Moving is a, it, it's interesting that I haven't really thought about this, but a lot of the guys have said, you know, you know, we're, we're people, we're always on the move. We're, we're always moving. We've got to keep moving. And I think it's an interesting one to think about really. Is that true? And is movement important to learning for, for these young men? Um, in a way that it might not, as it would be possibly for, uh, if you're thinking about, you know, I don't know, uh, somebody. So, for example, I remember being in a room with some a, a guy uh, with a young lad who, um, the way that he engaged with a traditional classroom situation. This is a, a white young guy, but it's a similar sort of situation. Um, was through doodling he had to doodle in order to concentrate because he needed to do that kind of kinesthetic thing and I, I, I kind of get the sense that there's something about uh, the guys that I was working with that was very similar moving around we often used to start our focus groups which I've never done before but it was one of our peer researchers who suggested that with a with a, a sort of circle uh, game that was very very um, full of movement because it got people uh, on the it got people's minds really racing and and engaged and, and passionate and and then we could ask them the questions that we needed the answers from uh, for and it, it was the best focus group I've ever done um, for, uh, so there's something about that there's something about interactive activity and I would say that creativity um, we were working clearly with young with some young men in this cohort who were opting to engage with um, with the Birmingham rep so they were you know they were creatives um, but others others who were co there were others from uh, the other projects who weren't but what they chose to en what engaged them with the projects were often music activities, writing songs, uh, pro producing in a music, um, uh, you know, in a music, um, what do you call them, recording studio, um, or, or it, it was those kind of things that, that engaged them. But also black history and not black history about victimization, but thinking about because that's, one of them told an awful story about how he was in a, a fairly kind of mixed uh, uh, school. And uh, I think that one school had uh, decided they were going to do something and were clearly trying their best to do something that was uh, looking at experiences of, of uh, you know, of, of um, BME communities. And they decided to show roots. Um, and he was, I think he said, I'm, I was one of, uh, uh, there were about two of us in the class that were uh, from, from the black community. And everybody looked at us and I, I thought, oh, that's not my history. I'd, and and, and it, was, it was quite, I mean, it's quite a traumatic thing, actually, watching Roots. I find it traumatic. So I, I don't know quite how appropriate that was. But I think there's something about, you know, it's not just about being a victim. It's recognising that there are these inequalities that affect the way a, 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 a young person's journey to your classroom to your school but not sort of sticking that label on them and sort of looking at what might how you can celebrate the resilience element I suppose of survival in black history not just looking at the the kind of victim uh, idea of, of black history or of migration or whatever it is but actually looking at the positives uh, and the resilience that that gives young men and mobilizing that resilience and I think there's, there's, there's something else that there's a school down in London. I don't know. It would be interesting for it to be evaluated, really. But there's a it's he he's a head teacher. Um, I don't know. You, you've probably seen him on the news, but he, I, I clocked him recently. He he was a law, barrister and he decided to become a head teacher. And um, 
he his big mission is to bring um, into the school people who have achieved uh, in their career uh, for these uh, majority uh, black uh, children who are in that school yeah. um, for that kind of see it to be it uh, um, uh, aspirational kind of to, to raise to, to challenge those stereotypes that flood young young people from some communities so that that's that's a kind of another practical idea i think that schools ought to be doing more of and i think they could do that in, you know in lots of other ways i think you can do that with uh, in, in poverty stricken uh, more deprived schools as well for people to see that actually you know you can find a way uh, you can find a way out of this uh, you can achieve despite it yeah, so aiming high. So it sounds yeah. like kind of in summary, maybe that one of the things that in schools we need to be aware of is the fact that um, these young people are particularly vulnerable as they're moving into secondary. That's a point at which we really need to find ways to engage with them in a kind of culturally sensitive way, maybe working with them to find out what they would most enjoy, where their skills and their talents and their interests lie in order to try and keep them engaged um, with school and engaged in a positive way um, and sort of build their resilience through that. Does that sound like a sort of it, it is and I think it is that school belonging. I've just been uh, sort of writing a bit on that and I think uh, it, it is a it is one of those critical um, uh, critical elements that determines whether that transition goes well. School belonging, school belonging. it uh, yeah we do, it's that connectedness. Uh, there's there's quite a lot of research on 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 that and and what we don't know we do know that school that a sense of belonging is pivotal pivotal for uh, a child's mental health. We don't quite know which way that goes. So we don't know whether a poor mental health breaks you know wears down school belonging or whether school belonging um, it, it improves uh, uh, mental health. That, those things we don't know yet but we know that the two things are really really critical and I think it's also it's also been proven to be critical to add academic achievements. So, and what often what the elements of school belonging are, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you can see it. So, you, if a child isn't able to talk to teachers, that came out in some longitudinal research. Um, it's in primary schools up to I think the transitional stage. If they're not talking to, to teachers, it's a big screaming risk factor. Mm -hmm. And and the, those are the children we ought to be. If they don't feel they can talk to to teachers, those are the children we ought to be investing extra extra time in to to try and develop a relationship and whether it's not the teacher whether it's someone else in the school staff or whether uh, the other uh, the other thing that came out again all of this is untested because there's been very little good quality research in in this area but the use of peer mentors i would say is more important for this group than it is uh, for other groups. I mean, there's a, there's some you know preliminary promising evidence that it's quite good um, uh, for uh, a range of, of uh, disadvantaged uh, young people. But uh, from what what the project leads and what the young people say, having somebody who can who is achieving and who can encourage you and foster your talents, who 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 looks like you, talks like you is like you you know that that kind of intermediary as well working within with with a young person who might be beginning to to lose their school their sense of connection with the school that school's sense of school belonging and who can also um work hand in hand with with school staff to try and uh, help school staff understand and and mentalize and understand what where that uh, where where that young person is coming from and problem solve uh, you know what what 
might help that young person work, uh, move forward. I think talking to families as well and pro that, that collaborative problem solving is really important mm -hmm. to try and get solutions that feel right for the, for the, for the family. Um, I think we could do more of that. But I think it, it, it does centre on that sense of belonging because I'm pretty sure that it, it, that is the, is, is the critical uh, tipping point really um, for these young guys as they get to uh, something that happens during it that you know during those secondary years uh, years and you could definitely I think that's the tipping situation thing. where that sense of belonging rapidly disappeared if you know they begin to engage less they're getting in trouble for various things and then yeah it could quickly kind of yeah it could quickly kind of spiral and I suppose then one of the things that our school staff need to be aware of is the potential for that to happen and to think how do we respond to those first few kind of incidents um, which might seem like you know behavior issues and thinking about well what's actually sort of maybe underlying that yeah I, I think even beyond that you know, one of the things that's come out of again I think of Jess's research here here uh, on in uh, with gang involved young men and the guys that were up in um, in Birmingham is that the that even if they've gone quite a long way uh, along that path of maybe getting into a negative peer group there's that it becomes a bit of a trap and they they sort of describe it like this retrospectively at the time it's difficult to know how much wiggle room there is to to help them out of that uh, you know, to help them go in a different direction. But I, I think there may, you know, I think there are signs from the work that we've been doing that, that it is possible at that stage. Because I think it, they, what they describe is it becomes self-perpetuating. So they be, they get into this group and they then, they might have their doubts about being in the group, but that's where they get their status from. Uh, and, and, it become, and it's difficult to find a way out that's high status. So they're stuck. So again, and anyone who might be able to help them out with that that's why peer mentoring is really important wow. and and there are so even in I can think of a, a, a one young guy up in Birmingham who was talking about how, uh, you know, he he he'd done really he he actually engaged with this project really well, but he was under constant pressure to come back into that negative peer group. And what it was almost as if uh, the 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 youth because they are community projects basically. The project that was uh, working with him was sort of giving him an injection of 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 focus of of of, of carrying on with his uh, with the, with you, you know he knew what he wanted to do academically and it kept him kind of focused on that but all the time he he described that as such a big pull a push and pull between you know what he wanted to do and and, and breaking away from this mass these masculine uh, hyper masculine kind of uh, role other role models that uh, were pulling him in the other direction so kind of providing credible escape routes sounds like a really important Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um you've been you've told us so much, thank you. Um I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you think needs mentioning or if you've got any sort of um resources or websites or charities that you want to recommend at this point that people might find helpful to look up. Um you can send through stuff afterwards if you want to. We'll yeah, I might have a look at, at what we found, and I can send through those. Uh, they'll be, you know, they'll be the ones that we'll we put on the the website. Um, I can, yeah, I'll have a think about what we've got that I can send over. I think it's not a it's not a um, an area that's got a great number of resources for for school teachers, and I think.
that's a, a shame and I think there's some well, I think one of the messages that I just really would want to highlight that I probably haven't highlighted enough is the way that the reason that this research worked and it shouldn't have worked because you know white middle-aged woman working uh, with a, um, a, a community groups from the African Caribbean community and, and they've said this quite loud and loudly and clear clearly that this should not have worked as a, as a, <laughs> a process and it did work um, from their perspective that you know um, and you're welcome to talk to them and, and understand a bit more about that process and I think it, and the reason it worked was because of the arm-in-arm -arm approach that we took because we had peer researchers who constantly told us you know uh, you can't do it like that I, what, what, no I, uh, th those questions won't work let's let's think about this a bit more who would con uh, the, you know those tools aren't going to work so we had peer researchers who were working alongside us the whole time who were delivering actually they were delivering um, uh, to other young boys they were themselves becoming peer peer role models as they did that um, because you know they were researchers and they, they uh, and these young guys had never come across uh, a, a black researcher before so there's something about the need for for collaborative action arm-in-arm -arm action and not trying to do things um, uh, to other people, um, and that probably holds for you know holds for most human interactions, doesn't it? But I think it's all the more important um, when we're trying to find ways forward um, to to Im to improve these uh, mental health inequalities. Um, so, what, you know, for example, years ago we had community uh, development workers who are, and we still have a few of them around the country, who work with health services to try and um, make services more culturally competent and to make sure that they um, work in a way that is uh, is culture, you know, that, that enhances the, the outcomes of, of young black people um, and, and ad adults as well. Why don't we have those resources for schools you know schools it's all hit and miss for schools we don't schools don't have advisors who can help them problem solve and work arm in arm with them um, so how do they how would they start to do that and I that was one of the recommendations that we made as uh, as a result of all, uh, against all odds which were uh, against the odds um, that uh, the, the report that we wrote um, that there needed to be that kind of role really now the chance of us getting that with the economic climate as it is at the moment is uh, low but I think that that might be something that would help schools in a local area to yeah. to, to problem solve better ways forward yeah it sounds like it, it sounds like a, a really good idea that's obviously working well in other places so well fingers crossed that um can... yeah that that will move forward yeah, yeah. and co-production co-production with young men get them together and think about how if they and how things might move forward because there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of capacity to do that we don't use that enough now and so that in schools that certainly as you get to that those older age groups is is a really good tool thank you for listening if you have found this resource useful please consider making a charitable donation to cwmt by texting torp18 and the amount to 70070 and to learn more about the work of the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, please visit cwmt.org.uk.